We get to talk about the goodness of God today, and I'm excited to be here with you. Uh, we are finishing our sermon series about God's waiting room, and today we're going to talk about waiting with hope. If you open your Bible with me, it's also, also on the screen. We're going to start by reading Romans chapter 15, verse 13, and I would like to, for you to read it with me together. Can we do that? Let's read it together. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. In his letter to the church of Rome, Paul said, May the God of hope fill you with all joys and peace in believing. The two greatest resources immediately available to everyone who has put their faith in the Lord is that they will receive the hope of the Lord and the peace of the Lord regardless of their circumstances. And this is a, not a one-time thing, but a constant flow of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. It's very easy to fall into despair when we looked at what's happening around us. All you have to do is just turn on the TV or maybe close to your home, one of your neighbors going through a hard time. Maybe it's in your own home. Maybe it is in your life. All you have to look is around to see that it appears that everything gets worse before it gets better. Gas is so expensive. Finances are short. I remember yesterday with my family, went to pump gas. It was like $53 for a van, and that's like almost every two days. I told my wife, we need a new car. Wait, we cannot afford it. We'll have to stay with this one. There are two types of people, Paul says. When we looked at what's happening around us, notice that Paul didn't say, may your circumstances fill you with hope. Because some people, there are those type of people, some who wait for their circumstances to bring them hope. And those who bring hope into their circumstances. Which type of those are you? Those who wait for their circumstances to bring them hope. Or those who bring hope into their circumstances. A few years ago, during COVID pandemic, uh, Tom Moore, a 99-year-old World War II veteran, became a well-known figure all over the UK. We have a picture of him on the screen. This gentleman right there at 99 years of age, um, he would still mow his yard and drive his car with no problem. Until one day, he unfortunately fell while mowing and he had to have surgery. Um, he had to have hip surgery. But then after a few weeks on rehab, he decided to add purpose into his rehabilitation so he talked to his son-in-law and he said I'm going to raise some money for the health department so his his goal was to raise one thousand dollars by doing one lap uh, around his brick patio as you can see there but his son-in-law posted on social media and he said, help my father-in-law get $1,000 for the health system. Some way, somehow, the thought of a World War II veteran walking around uh, moved the hearts of people. So they all started donating. And by the time he had completed 100 laps, he had raised over $40 million for the health community. 
That, my brothers and sisters, is hope in action. What is hope? I like Dallas Willard's definition of hope. Hope, he said, is the anticipation of good. It is deeper than optimism. Optimism is the tendency to believe things will turn out well. Hope, he says, comes from elsewhere. It is the conviction that because God is in you, your life and your efforts have meaning no matter how the situation turns out. So how about you? Do you hope in the Lord or do you hope in your circumstances? You may remember the tragedy of the first uh, time the, people, the, the spies of Israel went to recognize the new land. It is in Numbers chapter 13. Moses had been with the people enough time now to get too close to the promised land. The Lord told Moses, send 12 people to recognize the land. So they all packed their backpacks, went into the new land incognito, surveyed the land. And when they came back, they all reported one thing. The Lord doesn't lie. What he says, it is true until this day. And they say, it is true. The land is rich. The fruit is amazing. It flows with milk and honey. But Ten of them were hopeless, and two of them were full of hope. In fact, they said, oh, they, they came and said, ten of them said, we can move forward. But two of them said, wait a minute, no, 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 we can't go backwards. It's interesting that the, the 12 of them saw the same problem, the same situation, the same risk, and the same danger. But two of them were filled with hope, and 10 of them had no hope at all. Now, the Bible says in 1 Samuel 2.30 that God honors those who honor him. And today, thousands of years later, this event happened. Listen to me. Joshua and Caleb remain some of the most popular names year after year. On the other hand, how many of you remember the names of the other 10 hopeless people? They're there. They're there on number 13, but nobody remembers them. Let me read to you some of these names, which I can rarely pronounce in Spanish, much less in English. <laughs> but I'll do my best. Shafat. Igal, anybody looking for names for babies? Here are some. Igal, Hoshia, Palti, Gadiel, Sether, Navi, Geuel, Shamu. Sounds like a killer whale's name. No one remembers them, but everyone remembers Caleb and Joshua. How do, we, how do we wait with hope? Well, on your outline, let's do it really quick. We wait hope by remembering God's deliverings and works. This is so amazing how the Lord has placed in our memory the ability to remember what God has done. Habakkuk is a great example of this. Habakkuk found reasons to rejoice by placing his trust not in the circumstances but in the Lord. And by the way, Habakkuk is the main book where this sermon series started. How many of you have read the book of Habakkuk uh, at one point in your life? You need to read it. 
It only has three chapters. Habakkuk is a short book. He had a, a, a small, uh, uh, it's, he's considered a minor prophet. His ministry was not so long compared to the one of Daniel or Isaiah. But in his book, you see that he is wrestling with God. He doesn't understand what's going on. And, and Habakkuk is interesting because the, the work of the prophet was to speak on behalf of God to the people. Uh, that was their job. But Habakkuk is different. He speaks to God on behalf of the people. And then he says, Lord, I don't understand. Why would you have us go through this difficult time? The nation was about to be conquered. The only time that the Lord spoke to Joshua was to say this, I am doing something new that if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. Did you know, do you want to know what was that, what was that news that the Lord said? You would get excited when you hear that. If No one would believe it if I told you. And then he says, I want to know. And then the Lord said, I will let the Babylon come and conquer all of you. So he wrestles with God. He questions God. Not only that, he was in a personal crisis. Verse 16 said, my legs tremble, my legs, I cannot be standing. If you read the book, you'll find it. Seems to me that he was probably having what we will call a panic attack. Not only that, but the nation was in crisis. He, he knew what was about to happen. Happen, happen. Sorry, my English fails. Uh, starting from the, the least important, moving towards the most important, as he describes the destruction, listen to this, of an economic system. He said, figs, grapes, olives, grain, livestock, any of these things by themselves will represent hardship and nation, but all of them together meant total devastation. Habakkuk 3.17, he says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Would you read it with me? He said, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Same words that Paul Apostle wrote while he was in jail to the church of Philippi. In Philippians 4.4 he said, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I repeat, rejoice. In the midst of this painful reality, Habakkuk made one of the greatest statements of faith until on the Bible. He said, I will rejoice, not in my circumstances, but I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. What did he do, people? He remembered. If God was faithful then, he will be faithful now. If he did it at one time, he will do it again. The Lord is good to those who trust in him. And the Bible says that hope will never put us to shame. God came from Tenan, says Habakkuk 3.3, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. He remembered when the people of Israel left Egypt and they came to a place where there was no place to go. In front of them, it was the Red Sea, deep enough to kill them all, impossible enough to swim the whole nation of Israel. In front of them was Mount Paran. In the other side, it was Mount Terran. 
And in the back of them was Pharaoh and his, and, and his army getting ready to kill them. What did the Lord do? He opened the Red Sea for his people to walk. God will always open a door when we trust in him. But what, what do we need to do? We need to do a hope inventory. And we do it by remembering what God has done because we can easily forget. I remember, I remember when my friend Matt McClintock invited me to come to Oklahoma City to study at Mid America Christian University 16 years ago. He said, Salvador, I will pay for one year of college and we will find resources together for the next years. I remember how I had zero to no chances to get a visa coming from a family with limited resources. I remember when I went in front of the immigration officer, the first time I, I, I went in an airplane, I was probably around 22 years old. The first time I flew, I went into Mexico City, got my best clothing. I remember I was wearing a tie, and I went in front of the immigration officer and put my hands in front so that he didn't see that I was nervous or shaking like right now. Anyway, so I was there. And then he asked me, young man, yes, I was young at one point in my life. What do you do for a living? And I say, I'm a pastor. And he said, okay, tell me, what's the difference between the book of Matthew and John in the Bible? And then he proceeded to ask me four more questions about the Bible. He didn't ask me anything about income. He didn't ask me how much I made. He didn't ask me how I was going to support my studies in, in, in Oklahoma City. He didn't ask me anything but five questions from the Bible. And I replied one by one. I only remember one. He took my passport, put a stamp on it, and he said, Welcome to the United States of America. Now, 16 years later, yeah, we thank God for that. 16 years later, I am a naturalized citizen of this country. Who, who would have thought I'm a Mexican gringo now? <laughs> I get to show my blue passport when I go to Mexico. Don't get me wrong. When they ask me, are you Mexican? I hide my passport. Yes, because I don't want to pay for the visa. Only God, only God. I remember I was recently married to my wife, Alicia, my bride. She had gotten, before we were even dated, she got a new car. The agreement was that her was gonna pay, she was going to pay half of the payment of the car. My father-in-law was going to pay the other half. But when we got married, my father-in-law immediately stopped giving his half of the payment. That's how much he loved me. So I remember the financial struggle the first time, uh, a little paycheck. We had rented an apartment. We had to pay our bills, and we didn't have enough. What did we do? We knelt before the Lord because he is the hope in time of troubles. And we asked the Lord, we don't have the money, but you can provide for us. The very next day, 
my mom gave me a call and she said, hey, when you left the first time to the United States, uh, we didn't give you any money because we didn't have any money, but we've been working and saving. And yesterday we were praying with your dad. And so we decided to send you money. And when I looked at my bank account, the very next day I had $1,000 there, which was enough to pay the car, to pay the rent, and to take my new bride out to dinner. Remember, remember what God has done. Take, make a hope inventory. The Lord will never leave you nor forsake you. Remembering what God has done grows hope inside of us. Remembering what God has done opens an opportunity to praise him. Remembering the works of God in your paths, kiss past keeps our minds and hearts focused on him. And I'm going to even tell you that remembering what God has done keeps us far from sin. It is when we want to get close to him that we have no desire to do what, is, what, doesn't, what doesn't please God. So we bring hope into our waiting by remembering. But number two, on your outline, we also bring hope by, by surrendering our will to God's sovereignty. And I know this is hard. Psalm 31.5, would you read it with me, church? It says, into your hand I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. How many of you remember this verse in the New Testament? Who said it? Jesus at the cross. Jesus Jesus said before he was at the cross, at the, at the garden of Gethsemane, he said, If it is possible, Father, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to do it. But let not my will be done but yours. Surrendering doesn't mean you give up in life. Surrendering doesn't mean you get discouraged. Surrendering in the Lord means you allow the Spirit of God to lead you instead of falling into despair. Because things may not be what they seem. What you are facing right now might seem that that's all that's going on. But that's not true. There is another part of this story that God is writing. One of the Christian songs that I really love about Taryn Wells. It says, God's not done with you. He is writing your story. And I believe that wholeheartedly. I'm going to tell you a story on Luke chapter 24. It's about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He had resurrected now on the third day. But there is two people whose names are not fully mentioned except only one. And his name is Cleopas. And I'm going to tell you this story. Uh, it's on Luke chapter 24. I'll read it really quick. It says, now the same day, two of them uh, were going to a village called Emmaus, I apologize for the pronunciation. It's hard for me to say that word. About seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walked alone? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas, that's the name, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that had happened there in these days? What things, he asked, about Jesus of Nazareth. The reply, he was a powerful prophet, powerful in word, and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handing him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Would you read with me verse 21? But we had hope 
that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all of this to play. Don't miss this. You and I know the whole story. You and I know that these people are working together and Jesus is walking beside them, but they do not know it yet. Just as you are going through your difficult situation right now, just as you do not understand what's going on in your life and why you're going through the pain that you are going, you may think that you are walking alone, but your eyes are being kept from recognizing the story that Jesus Christ is writing about you. And so if you read the story, you know, we don't know who the other name is, but I'm going to try to tell you who I think it is. Scholars believe that this was Mary, the wife of Cleopas, because she was present at the time of crucifixion of Jesus. And now we know that Cleopas is the other person. So, and the Bible said that they were discussing each other. There's other versions of the Bible that, that makes us understand that they were having a little bit of a, a little bit of a heated conversation. Yes, God sees when you have a heated a conversation with your husband or your wife. So it's, it's, it's fair to believe that probably Mary was telling her husband, Jesus said he was going to resurrect. I believe that he's resurrected. And he said these things and, and, and he doesn't lie. But Cleophas, you know, being the man of the house, didn't believe her. And he was probably, they were arguing, you know, men, some of us, we just don't like to be corrected. Even for our wives. Most of the times, wives are right. Amen? Okay, you can argue about that when you get home. So they are arguing. They are arguing, and then by the time they're doing this, Jesus is walking by them, and they are so focused on their problems that they don't recognize him. And then Jesus said, okay, it's my time to ask. And he said, what are you discussing about? What are you talking about? And then Cleopas turns around and with his face downcast, he said, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that are happening around? How would you rate this on the polite thermometer? Jesus probably could have said, well, in fact, look at me. Look at my hand. I am the one who told you that I was going to resurrect. I'm here. But Jesus didn't say that. He said, what things? Tell me. And then they proceeded to say, they're part of this story. We had hope that he was going to be the one. We really had high hopes that he was going to finally this doesn't say in the Bible, but I'm assuming that they probably say, you know, we have been conquered by Assyria, by Babylon, by Persia, and most recently by Rome. We don't know what it means to be in freedom. But he was so powerful. We had hoped he was the one. Aren't we like that as well? We had hoped that we were going to have this many kids. But we couldn't. We had hoped that this business was going to help our family finances, and it turned out into a total nightmare. We had hoped that the doctor's report was going to be a more positive one, and everything is just going bad. So they are walking together, and it's getting darker. Their story seems like, a, like they 
that they know in their brain this is their part of the story. But what I, as I told you earlier, things are not what they seem. Just when you think you know, you really don't know. I'll tell you about this story and hopefully you'll laugh as I laugh when I read it. There's this couple that had been married for over 60 years. And when they got married, they agreed to never have any secrets. Except the wife had a shoebox with some stuff that she made her husband to promise her to never ask for the contents of it, to which her husband agreed. But now she was terribly ill at the hospital. And in order to sort things out, the husband went home and brought the shoebox. The wife told him, Okay, I guess it's time for you to open and see what's in the box. So he quickly opened the shoebox and he found two crochet dolls and a stack of money worth approximately $95,000. He asked, what is this, honey? And she said, well, the day we got married, my grandma told me that the secret to a happy marriage is to never let to never get mad. So every time you get mad, she said, just crochet a doll. When the husband saw that there were only two dolls in the box, he started crying. And he said, honey, I love you the more, more than I have loved you. I can't believe that you only had two dolls in here. And then after he composed himself a little bit, he asked, okay, I understand that. But now tell me, what about the $95,000 to which you reply, oh, that, every time I crochet a doll, I sold it at the craft markets for $5. (laughs) Just when you think you know, you don't know. And you might think that what you are facing right now and going through, it's all there is. But I'm here to tell you on behalf of God, you do not know yet. Your eyes might be kept from recognizing what's happening right now. But Jesus is there with you. And that is a promise you can count on. When were their eyes open? It was getting dark. And he said, why don't you come into our house? And he said, okay, and it was dinner time. And during dinner time, Jewish people used to partake on the the breaking of the bread. So him being the guest of honor was given the privilege. And he takes the bread and listen to this. And he broke the bread. And the very minute he broke the bread, ah, their eyes were open. Brokenness is a symbol of God's love. Sometimes God will allow you to go through brokenness. But don't get despair. Don't you give up. Your eyes will be open. When it is God's time, no one can stop it. And when it is not God's time, no one can force it. Let me finish with this. We bring hope into our waiting by recognizing our final destiny. Romans 8.18, would you read it with me? It says, the Bible says, For I consider that the, 
can you read with me? That our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. He says that our present sufferings are not, are not compared with the glory that will be revealed to us. People, what is our final destiny as people of God? I believe that no greater words about hope had been written by another man in the human history than those of Paul the Apostle when he wrote on, chapter, on Romans chapter 5. And he said, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Listen to this. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Yes, we know that. And perseverance produces character. Yes, we know that. And character produces hope. When Paul wrote these words, he was talking to a people that were known as the Stoics. The Stoics believe that the way that you can endure hardship and tribulations in life is through reasoning. How can you be able to overcome hardship and pain? They would say, ah, the answer is in your reasoning. They say, a man has the ability to conquer his inner self by knowing for the person that didn't have character, they will say, problems will come and destroy it. But the person who has character, he says, problems will only reveal what he is made for. So they would say, you are never to hope anything. No, 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 no. You can do it yourself. And so if you go Google today Stoics quotes or the writings of Seneca, for instance, look, he would say something like, they can imprison you, but that doesn't hinder you. They can mutilate you, but that doesn't hurt you. They would say, they can, they can torture you, but that doesn't mean that they can, they can uh, get you. Everything in the inner self, if you conquer your inner self, then you can, you can live a good life. But let me tell you something. Of course, it is good to be positive. Of course, it is good to have a good attitude in life. But if we place our trust in our own reasoning, sooner or later, we will fall. Because the toll of trying to live the life that we live in in this world, trying to make sense of everything, is just draining. Paul finished his letter saying this. Listen to me. In Romans chapter 8, he said, Paul the Apostle said, that the, the Spirit himself, he said, verse, verse 26, the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Groans, sorry, groans. What did Paul say? said that we, the people of God, suffer. That we, the people of God, complain we, the people of God, sometimes we don't understand what we're going through. And yes, we said, Lord, take that away from me. I don't understand. And Paul said, that is okay. The Lord has given you a spirit that when you don't know what to say or what to do, he groans for you. He said, Lord, deliver Salvador from his pain. Lord, 
deliver Mary from her pain. Lord, deliver them, help them. So what is the ultimate goal? What shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? And then he said, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither high or depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ultimate reality is the love of God that one day will redeem all stuff. So who is more than conqueror? Not the person who tries to hold life together with the reasoning. The one who has has become a friend of God is more than conqueror because God understand it because hopelessness is not the last word death is not the last word hope has a name and his name is Jesus oh Christ be praised I got victory can we celebrate the Lord for his victory father let hope arise in your church this morning we are the people of hope. We are not helpless. You are, Lord, the God of hope in time of need. And we know that regardless of the circumstances going around us, our life and our efforts matter because God is with us. So today we can say with confidence, no one will separate us from the story that you are writing for us. It's a story of love and redemption. And though today we might be in pain and today we might be complaining and today we might be considering giving up, your word reminds us, do not give up because hopelessness is not the last, the last answer. It is God, the God of hope, who will fill us every day with the peace that supersedes all understanding. So it is in Jesus' name that we pray with hope. And everyone says, Amen.